Good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill. We are a church that meets in the Milwaukee Oak Grove area, and we meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We have online services available on our website, faithonhill.com, and our Facebook page, and you can follow us on Instagram at at faithonhill. Uh, all of our uh, online content has an audio-only version that's available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And whether it's our Sunday service or anything else, you just have to search Faith on Hill and subscribe to that stream. Video content um, is always available as well on our Facebook page. Sunday mornings are just on our website. If you have a Bible, we will be uh, studying the book of 1 John chapter 3 this morning. And if you uh, would, stick around after that so we could have a time of guided prayer together. Finally, starting in July, for about a month, we will have church in the field. Um, And uh, it's a lot of fun, actually. We set up uh, pop-up tents so people have shade. Um, it's, It's something we really enjoyed doing last summer out of necessity, and this summer we're doing it by choice. Uh, also, if you don't know, uh, a few months back, our church was, the building was hit by a garbage truck. And so uh, we're hoping that construction will start on repairing the building. We've had kind of a long process dealing with insurance and permitting and everything, but uh, construction to fix that will begin uh, right about the time that church on the field starts. So we're not sure how long we'll be out there. It might just coincide with the length of the project. So if you have a Bible, turn to First John chapter 3. Good morning. As we continue our study in the book of 1 John, focusing on how to live as Christians, we get to a central theme of the book, a central message of John's letter. Love one another. John chapter 3, starting in verse 11, he says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. What John is saying is, this message has not changed. Now, John was writing to Christians who lived 50 to 60 years after Jesus. And this is actually comforting to me, that even that short amount of time away from Jesus, there were Christians who were trying to work out what the message of the Christian faith was. Why is that comforting? Because there are times where I look around the church and I get discouraged or disconcerted because Christians from different groups of churches or different types of churches or different points of views debate and argue what is the central theme or message of the Christian faith. And quite honestly, if they were trying to figure that out back in John's day, just 50, 60 years after Jesus, it gives me hope because you know what? They weathered it. They, they, they didn't just implode or explode. They, they moved forward and God kept working. So that's encouraging to me. John says the message hasn't changed. What message? What was it Jesus said? Jesus said that the greatest command, the ultimate command, the fulfillment of everything that God desires is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That is hard to do. 
It is. It is hard to love God with everything that I am. And it's hard to love my neighbor as I love myself because I love myself a lot. And I don't know if I love my neighbor as much as I love me. It's hard to do. And so then we try to find ways to get around it. Okay, but who is my neighbor? Somebody asked Jesus. Why? Because if I can say that this person isn't my neighbor, then I don't have to worry about loving them. And what does it mean to love God with my whole heart and soul and mind and strength? Because if I can limit what that means, then I don't have to worry about this other thing that I want to do that might not be loving God. Love is not easy. But John says we have a consistent message. Like we talked about last week, it's an ancient or a timeless message. And this message hasn't changed. Love God, love people. And then he goes to a place that I wouldn't have, but he starts talking about Cain. Verse 12, he says, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Now, John assumes that they know who Cain is. And I will be honest more and more Christians in America do not know their Bibles outside of the Sunday school stories. And I don't mean this to be in any way like, oh, you're not a good Christian. What I'm trying to do is encourage us to read our Bibles more and more and more. I have a standing policy. I will buy anyone a Haley's Bible handbook. Uh, because I want people to read their Bibles, and Haley's is a great book for just going through the Bible, and there's a little section on each chapter. Uh, Sometimes it gives like a little bit of history or context. Sometimes it gives like if it talks about a city and they've found that city, it'll give you pictures or a diagram. It's very helpful. But I believe that every Christian should know their Bible. So if you don't know who Cain is, go back to the book of Genesis And you can find out that Cain was one of the sons of Adam and Eve. And he had a brother named Abel. And you might have heard of this because it's the first recorded murder in human history. And Cain and his brother Abel both offered sacrifices of worship before God. And God accepted Abel's, but he did not accept Cain's. And that made Cain mad. And he fumed and he, he dwelled on it. Have you ever had that where you're just in a funk and you're just, you're just mulling over the thing that made you mad? Somebody, somebody insulted you. Somebody did something you didn't like. Uh, you're jealous of somebody. Somebody else is doing something that just rubs you the wrong way and you're just kind of fuming on it. And you're, you're kind of, ooh. You've never done that? You've never ooed before? I think you have. And Cain just let it simmer and stew and fester. And God spoke to him. In his mercy, God spoke to him. God didn't just judge him right there. He reached out to Cain. And he said, Cain, what are you doing? If you do what is right, it'll go well for you. The the reason that God accepted Abel's offerings and not Cain's was because Cain made a bad offering. It was, it was half-hearted. It was weak. It started with sort of an apathy he had for God. He was just kind of going through the motions. He, he was just here. Yeah, here's something. 
The, the indication, the context we get from the book of Genesis is that Abel brought the best that he had to God. And Cain just said, yeah, I've got, check my pockets. I've got something here. And then he sees, so he's got this apathy towards God. And then he sees his brother. And God is accepting his brother. And that makes him even madder. To the point where enraged, he murdered his brother. What John is trying to teach us is that Cain's action of murder came from a place in his heart of apathy towards God and hatred towards those who were doing what God wanted. And so what what John's getting at is, hey, love one another, but it's hard to do that when, when we have apathy in our hearts or hatred towards others. Our hearts are zero-sum games. And I don't mean my physical heart. You know what I mean. Our heart, our, our spirit, our emotions. They're, they are zero-sum games. We have so much room, so much capacity, and I can either fill it with hate or I can fill it with love. I can either fill it with rage or I can fill it with peace. And John is saying, hey, Cain murdered his brother because his heart was full of malice and anger. Then he says something interesting in verse 13. He says, Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. For we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And what he's saying is, First of all, don't be surprised if the world hates you, whether that's the religious world or the non-religious world. Don't be surprised if they hate you. Why? Because there's an apathy to God and there's a hatred of those who are in God's favor. And this is not surprising, right? The, the, the religious people cannot understand why they can bring all of their offerings and then if you just believe in Jesus, God loves you? And, and let me be clear, because I, I don't want to misstate that. Does that mean that God doesn't love other people? Of course he does. But they don't accept his love because they want to bring their own offering. And, and my offering, if I were to say, God, I give you everything I have and this will make, make you love me, he'll say, no, what, what you have is not great, but I have something greater that I want to give to you. And the, the religious person says, no, I need to do it myself. I need to bring it to you. I need to earn my way to, to you. The Christian says, oh, thank you, God, for this gift that I don't deserve. And I don't deserve anything, but you have given me everything. And so the religious person looks at somebody getting what they think they don't deserve, which is true. I don't deserve it. And they just have anger. The irreligious person looks and sees the person who has passed from death into life, from darkness into light, who is cast off in the sin and says, I'm following Jesus. And they say, who are you? I, I don't love God. And you have rejected us and you're going with Jesus. I want nothing to do. So John's saying, hey, don't be surprised. Just like Cain hated Abel and murdered him. And there were Christians, there would have been Christians that these people would have known who would have been beaten, imprisoned, or murdered because of their faith in Jesus. 
He says, don't be surprised because just as Cain murdered his brother because he had apathy towards God and he had hate for someone who was serving God, this is the same thing that's going on. Our message is love and hate in our hearts is the same as murder. Verse 15, he says, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is where John starts to kind of poke at them a little bit. What I mean by that is this. It is very possible that their neighbor was a murderer. Think about this. If you lived in this town and this persecution of Christians has just gone through, which, which they think uh, the first empire, Roman Empire-wide persecution of Christians had happened just before John wrote this letter. And he writes to them, and it's like, how do you get over that? The, 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 the guy that you'd known your whole life was the person who, who murdered somebody in your church. The guy, you know, the, the woman down the street who you thought was a great neighbor, and she denounced you publicly and said, this is one of those Christ followers, throw them in jail. And the crowd came and beat you because she pointed to you. How do you get over that? And John's saying, you shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't be surprised. But then he pokes at him. And he says, but here's the thing. The church is a family. And he's already addressed them as brothers and sisters and dear children. And he says, if you guys aren't loving each other, don't look at your neighbor that denounced you or the the person across town who murdered someone in your church without understanding that if you don't love each other, you're in your heart, it's the same thing. The murder that came from Cain towards his brother started in his heart. Sin starts there. Jesus said, if you have hatred in your heart, you've murdered somebody. If you have lust in your heart, it's as good as having slept with them and committed adultery. It's the same thing. We can look and we can judge and we can say everything is always somebody else's fault and then never take ownership of ourselves. Our hearts affect our actions. I said this a couple weeks ago, but I think it's worth repeating. If you think it's the problems around are always somebody else's fault, then you'll never take ownership of, of yourself and take stock and take awareness and say, where am I in all of this? John's saying our message is love. But watch out because from the heart, from the heart comes murder. So how do we know what love is? This is one of the biggest, hottest debated questions around. How do we know what love is? I think John closes his message by by saying, be consistent. Verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. He says, you want to know what love is? Be consistent. Jesus is our definition of love. And what happens is there are verses in the Bible. God is love. For God so loved the world etc, etc, etc. So people will say, 
well, I don't think that's loving, therefore that can't be what God wants. You see the problem there though? That's us placing our definition of love onto God. What John is saying is take Jesus as the defining embodiment of love and then apply it. Be consistent. How do we define that? Well, think about Jesus. I'm going to read this again. Verse 16. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. The Christian definition of love. In Luke chapter 22, Verse 42, Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane on the night he was betrayed and he was praying and he was talking to God the Father and he did not want to go to the cross. He knew the ordeal he was about to go through and in that time of prayer, Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will but your will be done. So the first way that we would define love as Christians consistently is to say that it is obedience to God. If somebody comes and says, I think this is the most loving thing to do, but it is a direct, a direct violation of God's righteous standards, of God's good plans for us, then it's not the most loving thing to do. It it is not. Jesus was obedient to God. And it isn't loving to somebody to be disobedient to God. Then, the next thing that defines what Jesus did where he laid down his life for us is that he denied himself. Philippians chapter 2 speaks about how though Jesus was equally God as God the Father, he lowered himself and took the form of a servant and went to the cross. If I'm being loving to my brothers and sisters, and by this we mean the church, other Christians, not just our church, but the church at large. If I'm being loving, then I will deny myself. There are so many ways in which we have to fight being divided. We have to fight being divided. Churches have to fight, even before COVID, right? 2019, how were churches being divided? Churches were being divided young and old. Is the church going to stay together? Can, can a 60-year-old and a 16-year-old, can a 50-year-old and a 20-year-old, can an 80-year-old and a 30-year-old be the church together? Or are we going to split and have old churches and young churches? Churches are divided over modern and traditional. Churches were divided over race and culture. We have the white churches and the black churches and the Hispanic churches and the Eastern European churches and the Asian churches and we don't get together. Churches were divided over politics. That person's too conservative for me, I'm leaving. That person's too progressive for me, I'm out. All of these different ways and then COVID happened and now we have whole new ways to be divided. Are you a masked church or a maskless church? Are you a church that's going to defy the government? Or are you a church that's going to submit as best you can to the governing authorities per Romans 13? All of a sudden, there's new ways to be divided. I personally am so thankful that our church has fought to stay together. We have. I really think that. And you know what? Like when it comes to the whole like how do we handle COVID as a church? There are people that would have preferred that we not shut down as quickly as we did. And there are people who would prefer that we opened quicker than we have. 
And interestingly, it's not necessarily who you would think because it's surprising how some people who were fine with us closing as quickly as we did wanted to open quicker and some people who wish we hadn't, uh, hadn't uh, gone online only as quickly as we did are fine with kind of staying uh, you know, socially distant and online and all that stuff longer. And you know what? I'm just thankful that we have chosen to f- say we're going to figure this out together and we're going to stay connected. Somebody came up to me recently and said, you know what, I think we've turned a corner as a church. And I said, you know, I think so too. And I think we're writing a new chapter at Faith on Hill. And I think the, the big story is of this new chapter is that we love each other. And we're working together. And we're seeing each other as family. So Jesus says, be obedient, or John says, be obedient to God like Jesus was. Deny yourself just like Jesus did. And care for others. Jesus laid down his life for others. You know, I said that the first mark was that Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father. And so anything that is denying the truth of God is not loving. And there are some, I believe, very well-meaning Christians and churches who in the name of loving people hurt them unintentionally by denying the truth. It isn't loving to not call people to repentance and to experience the forgiveness and grace of God. It isn't loving to turn a blind eye to somebody's sin. And some churches turn a blind eye to racism. Other churches turn a blind eye to immorality. Other churches, you know, it's this thing or that thing. It's not loving. At the same time, think about John chapter 8. There was a woman caught in the very act of adultery. And they brought her to Jesus. Now, the fact that they didn't bring the dude who was there, also in the act of adultery, says something, but that's another sermon. But they bring her to Jesus, and there's no question that she's guilty. There's no question that she's sinned, and Jesus does not give the okay, like, oh, that's not a big deal. What does he say to her? He says, I don't, I'm not here to, I'm not here to condemn you. Go and sin no more. So he brings love and compassion, and mercy, and truth. So here's the thing. If I want to know, am I being loving to somebody? Am I being obedient to God? Am I denying myself? And am I thinking of others first? That's a really good kind of decision matrix to figure out, am I being loving to somebody? Am I being loving to the person who sits across from me at church? Am I being loving to my literal brothers or sisters? Am I being loving to my neighbor? These are all questions to ask. And, and it's, it's a spiritual discipline to submit ourselves to the will of God. It's growing spiritual muscles to deny ourselves. You know, I think there's a reason why the Bible talks about fasting. And it's not because I'm more spiritual if I don't eat lunch or if I skip, you know, I, I say I'm not going to watch TV for a week or whatever it is, but it's growing muscles of discipline to say, you know what, I'm going to train myself to seek God so that when the hard things come, I have strength by which to stand. And then in verse 18, verse 18, John says, dear children, Let us not love with words or speech, but let us love with actions and in truth. 
Why does he say that? Well, it's because of the verse before that, verse 17. And I read them out of order on purpose here. Verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? What John is calling people to is consistency. Be consistent in action. He's saying, you're talking a big game about love, but what if there's a, somebody who has a need among you and you don't care for it? He's saying, back up your words with actions. There, there's a guy I know, and I'm pretty sure he's a little bit racist. And he has a tendency to say, well, I love you, man. I don't know that you do. And, 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 it's, and it's like, nothing you've done has shown me love. You just say it, and then you go and then you say a bunch of other things that are offensive and hurtful. And you, you're like a bull in the china shop, and you just, just go and say whatever. And then when somebody says, hey, that hurt, hey, that, was, that, that wasn't super cool what you just said, you say, well, no, I love you. It's okay. John's saying to that kind of person, back up your words with actions. We can tell people, God loves you. But what does that really look like? Now, he's here specifically cites the poor, but I think it's a, a general thing about being consistent. There are what we might call hammer verses in the Bible. I don't know if you've heard that term before, but a hammer verse is a verse that somebody takes to hammer their hobby horse. They take a verse and then they hammer it down on anyone that they disagree with. You ever seen that happen? I've seen that happen. Uh, let me give you some examples of a hammer verse. Be not drunk with wine. So anyone who stays sober but likes to have a glass of wine, they get hammered on. Here's another one. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. And any woman who dares speak her mind in some churches, get hammered down with that verse. And here's another one. When I was growing up, we just said deny yourself, right? Lay down your life like Jesus. The group of churches that I was in, they said, you need to deny yourself. You need to give up your rights. And they always said it, the older people said it to the younger people. The younger people need to give up their rights in the church. And then they said it about Christians who had freedom uh, in their sobriety. They had freedom to have a, have a beer or whatever. And I, I remember talking to a friend of mine who's a pastor, and I said, okay, I get what you're saying. And, and your message is always to the younger people, give up your rights. To the people with, with the liberty uh, to to have a beer, you say, give up your rights and don't drink because other people are offended by that. I get what you're saying. I said, but here's the thing. You are politically out of step with most people that live in your city. And you're trying to tell them about Jesus. Will you deny yourself and stop posting these politically divisive things and just focus on Jesus? And he refused. Another pastor I know who liked to hammer those verses about denying yourself and about, about giving up and caring about others absolutely refused. If somebody asked him to wear a mask, 
He wouldn't. Look, I'm not trying to tell you masks, no mask, like what you, I'm not trying to tell you what to think about that, but I'll say this. It is the easiest thing in the world if somebody said, can you put a mask on? To pull a mask out and put it on your face while you have a conversation with them. It's the easiest way to show love to somebody. It's the easiest way to deny yourself. I'm not, I'm not trying to start a debate about, about how this whole last year in public health policy has gone. I'm just saying it was a really easy way to do that. But the people who I saw in my social media, in my conversation, in my relationships, the people who I saw speaking the loudest against it were the people, the same people who for years before had been hammering away at these deny yourself verses. And then when it was time for them to deny themselves, they stood up for their rights. John's just saying, be consistent. He's saying to people, he's saying to people who had experienced hatred, who had experienced persecution, who had experienced violence, and then he says, how can you not love each other? How can you not look at each other as the brothers and the sisters that God has made you? Be consistent. Love is our message and hate is murder. And if we hate each other, then how are we any different from the world around us? If we can't deny ourselves like Jesus did, how are we any different from the world around us? If we can't submit ourselves to God's will, then why do we claim his name as Christians? If we can't seek to love other people, then are we any different from Cain, who had apathy towards God and hatred towards those who were just trying to do the will of God? Now, I know I touched a few things that might be hornet's nest issues or controversial. I want you to know, first of all, that I'm just trying to walk through like some real issues. I think sometimes, you know, I, I, I always worry that my, my Bible teaching is kind of vague or whatever. And I want to like touch on real issues. These are things to be talked through, to be worked through. That's what I think is the wonderful thing about our small groups. That's what I think is the wonderful thing about being connected as a church and choosing to be the family that God has made us, is that sometimes we have to wrestle through things. And we're not always in agreement, but we're choosing to figure things out together. How can I love you? How can you serve someone else? How can you find a way to humble yourself so that God can work through you? How can I find a way to deny myself and prefer someone else's rights over my own? These are all questions that we have to work through. And I appreciate so much that as a church family, especially during this last year, We've turned that page. We're writing a new chapter about loving each other as we love God. Let's respond to God together through prayer. Well, now that we have heard from God's word, let us respond to him in a time of prayer. I want to invite you to feel free to use the pause button. One of the great things about an online service, a video or an audio podcast, is that there's a pause button. And if you need to linger in prayer, please feel free to use it. And then you can unpause and, and resume with us. I want to also invite you to enter a posture of prayer. I don't know what that means for you. In some cultures, it's standing. In other times and places, it's been kneeling or sitting. Some have folded their hands while others have raised their hands while others have kept their hands to their side. Whatever that is for you, eyes open, eyes closed, sitting, standing, I'd invite you to enter a place and a posture of prayer before a holy God. We're going to do uh, what's sometimes referred to as a Lectio Divina, 
We're going to read through the scriptures, and then I'm going to invite you uh, to respond. And the first invitation is a response to say, what stands out to you? So as I read, I want you to key in on words, phrases, commands uh, that stand out to you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Jesus' purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, speaking of Jews and non-Jews, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile them both to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we have, both have access to the Father by one spirit. I would invite you to just speak out, speak out loud a word or a phrase that stands out to you. For me, the word peace by one spirit is very prevalent. And Lord, I pray that in our day, the divide is not between Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians. Lord, the divide is often between older Christians and younger Christians, between white Christians and Christians from ethnic minorities between progressive Christians and conservative Christians, between modernists and traditionalists, these divides should not be. And Lord, I pray that you would heal and bring peace between your children through one spirit, the spirit of the Holy God, God the Holy Spirit. Thank you. I want to read that again. And I want you to Look for what Jesus is doing. What is Jesus doing? For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. In one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And I would invite you to just speak out. What do you see Jesus doing? Maybe write it in the comments, but put it out there. What do you see Jesus doing? And then respond in prayer, thanking Jesus for what he's doing. Asking God to make us more like Jesus and, and to be part of that work. Lord, I thank you that you are our peace. Help us to be bringers of peace. Help me to be bringer of peace. Help me to tear down walls of division and hostility, barriers. Set them aside through you and in you. Thank you, Lord. And finally, I want us to ask the Lord 
for whatever we need. And I would invite you to pray with me our Lord's Prayer. Our Holy Father, dwelling in the heavens, your name is holy, special, not to be taken lightly or in vain. Lord, we pray that your kingdom and your will would come and would be done. And as we have read, your will is peace and hostility to be removed and barriers to be torn down. We pray that. You prayed that we should ask for our daily bread. And so I pray and ask for every need. And whatever need that you have, speak it out. Before God, tell him your need. Lord, we trust that you are working. We trust that you hear our prayers. Give us faith, Lord. Where we need healing, we pray for healing. Where we need provision, we pray for provision. Where we need strength, boldness, faith, we pray for all of those things in abundance. Where mercy and forgiveness is needed, Lord, we trust you. And we trust that you will teach us to forgive those who have wronged us because you have forgiven us when we wronged you. Because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. May the God of all peace go with you this week. May his face shine upon you. May you be aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit who is working in and through the life of every true believer. God bless you.